Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to your new speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston. I have Rahul here from Stamford, Connecticut, Alex from Waterville, Maine. And guys, this is going to be probably the best episode we've recorded to date. For those listening, you probably hear a little bit of scratch in my voice, and that's because I was yelling all day Saturday and into the early hours of Sunday because we are the champions of Europe. Alex, Rahul, I hope you guys are excited as I am. Yeah, this is one of the best uh, one of the best entrances I've ever had. You always ask how we're doing. And this time I can say with absolutely no hesitation, I think we're all doing amazingly well following <laughs> that display on Saturday. Absolutely. Rahul, I'm sure your heartbeat is still going from some of the Instagram posts you've made. I'm sure you're just finally coming down off the high. How are you feeling? We are the champions, my friend. That's all I have to say. Nine years in the making, guys. We've said this over several episodes, but we are finally back at the top of Europe. This is exciting times, Alex. Yeah, this is this is crazy. I mean, especially back when Chelsea first won the Champions League, I was, what, I, I think I would have been about 11 years old. Um, it wasn't quite, I wasn't quite as into it then as I am now, but obviously with Drogba having been my favorite player, that was iconic, but I was always sort of watching it, you know, retrospectively through the lens of, of a newly impassioned fan. And here, here I was, I mean, physically live watching Christian Pulisic, my favorite player and the entire young Chelsea squad lift the most prestigious trophy in, in club football. That was an unreal moment. Um, and I'm still, I'm, I'm still struggling to believe it. It still doesn't quite feel like it's fully sunk in, but I mean, two times, baby, here we are. This is the start of something great. It is indeed the start of something great. And it's an unreal moment for us three on this podcast for Chelsea fans worldwide. It's unbelievable. But for those players to go out there and do what they've done over this crazy season, I mean, there are no words to truly describe the excitement that probably they have as well as we do. But in uh, in typical fashion, we typically go through the game. Rahul, do you want to take us through the starting lineup and then we can kind of go through some of the excitement of the game? Let's do that. So the, the championship, Champions League winning side, the starting 11, Eduardo Mendy, I beg your pardon, Edwal Mendy, Espelicueta, Thiago Silva, Rudiger in defense, Beast James on the right wing, uh, Angolo Conte, Jorginho, and Chili B. Uh, Kai Havertz, Mason Mount, and Timo Werner up top. And I can't say that any single one of those put a foot wrong. What an immense team. Alex, I know Pulisic didn't start, but those 11 that kicked off the game were pretty incredible. Yeah, they they put it all out there. And I think it was it was a statement game and you could tell even when things weren't quite coming off. I know we had a lot of early chances that left uh, Rahul and I certainly, I'm sure you were, you were, you're, that was part of what contributed to your vocal cords being demolished, (laughs) but I know Rahul and I were screaming at the, at the TV. I'm sure you were screaming uh, many miles away. We were just, I mean, it was, it was thrilling right from the beginning. Honestly, it was a very open game. I mean, they bombed that ball to Reese James, uh, to sorry, to Raheem Sterling over the top that Reese James had to brilliantly deal with. 
I mean, right from the beginning, these players were throwing themselves up the field. They were defending beautifully. I cannot say, I mean, I think not to steal someone's stat, but, but I, one of you mentioned before that there were only three shots on target throughout the entire game. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that because uh, maybe, maybe because I was watching my own team, but it felt absolutely thrilling from the first minute. And I would have told you, I mean, I was, I was amazed. I looked it up after uh, Mendy was only required to make one stop. Um, he made one save. Both goalkeepers actually made one save each. Um, and I was astounded because that really felt like it was action packed from the beginning. And it actually was super action packed. I think like you're talking about, and it's great that you said this is most finals become very cagey and Rahul, I think you and I had talked about this in the previous final. We almost expected Chelsea to sit back and defend against the Bayern Munich, but in this game, we showed no fear right from the gate kickoff of the gate. We did. And, and I think it took us a few minutes to settle into the game and city, uh, you know, we're attacking. And I think we just took a second or two, but once we started going, you saw the chances were coming. You saw what the plan was, which was use Werner's pace, use Kai Havertz to, to draw uh, defenders and use Angolo Conte to be that box to box player that he is. Um, and if that first chance from Werner goes in, I think it's a completely different game in the sense that uh, we then just grow into the game and maybe get a second and a third. But as things have been for Werner this season, unlucky, uh, he doesn't connect and it takes a little bit longer for that goal to come, but we do get the first goal, which for me, and I think even you guys, that was the most critical part of this game was who scores first. Right. Uh, and City didn't really help their case because they came out with the super, super attacking lineup. And I know we'll get into that, but focusing on Chelsea, I think that was the best start we could have hoped for. Yeah, why don't we dive into the starting lineup, Rahul? Why don't you tell us about City's starting lineup? Because there's some tactical things we can talk about there. Yeah, so, I mean, we predicted most of this lineup, apart from maybe Zinchenko and, and what happened in midfield, but uh, Ederson and goal, kind of set in stone. Cal Walker, John Stones, Ruben Diaz, and Zinchenko at left back. I was surprised not to see Cancelo. Bernardo Silva, which we thought would play Gungadon, who played that deeper defensive midfielder kind of position, Foden next to him in midfield, and then up top was Mahrez, De Bruyne, and Raheem Sterling. So a few surprises from Pep, but I think he said, you know what, I've seen Chelsea, and I'm, I'm not speaking for him, but just his thinking, I think, was we'll just throw everything we have at them in, in the sense that they don't really concede too many goals. Uh, and I trust my defenders and my goalie to keep us in the game, but didn't really work out for him. Yeah, I think the main the main talking point there, which uh, we're touching on, is the no defensive midfielder choice, which right. I know my as soon as we saw that lineup come out, I was sitting with my dad. Um, Jackie, you actually texted us that the, the Chelsea lineup was out. Um, we looked and when we saw City without a defensive midfielder, my, my dad put up a tweet. Uh, if you've seen that Eden Hazard uh, expose with the Real Madrid analyst. Uh, rubbing his hands together, uh, <laughs> talking about Hazard um, and saying City with no defensive midfielders against a uh, team, uh, well, against Timo Werner and his pace. This could get interesting. And as we saw, our German signings, as you guys mentioned, were really linking up um, and they didn't really have an answer to a lot of that early counterattacking play. And I think we saw that with the goal as well. I mean, Mason Mounts, I, I watched that back and Mason Mounts assist was absolutely gorgeous what a player I think I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too crazy to call him bordering on world class at the moment 
You would. Um, I think, yeah, I think most teams in the world, I was telling my friend, most teams in the world find a way to get him into their starting lineup um, on current form. But I, I watched that goal back and I, th- I think it was Gundogan. I'm not sure, but there was one city player in the midfield who didn't quite close him down enough, who didn't quite block out the passing lane. And that's exactly where you say maybe a defensive midfielder has the presence of mind and the experience to step in and cut out that pass, but we carve them open. Yeah. I mean, in no particular order today, but we're going to jump right into the goal then. And that was like, you've just touched on an incredible assist. I mean, you say borderline world-class Alex. I think that was top notch finding the space, finding the ball and just the amount of pace on that ball to land right in Kai Havertz's position and his run. I don't know what you want to call it, but Rahul, I'll bring you in here. Wasn't that something incredible to watch? I mean, in a Champions League final? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, And that was our play, guys. I think if you watch everything we did, every time Mendy had the ball, this move hold started from Mendy. It was to go out wide. And he puts it wide to Ben Chilwell, who I think Pep had said to Walker, go close him every time the ball is coming to him. And he was a little bit late to get to him. And that just opened up the whole defense for City. And Mason Mount puts in a brilliant ball. Kai Havertz makes a brilliant run. But there's one player that we haven't highlighted here, and that's Timo Werner. The run he makes off the ball to take Ruben Diaz with him into no man's land, literally nowhere. And that really leaves Kai Havertz and Zinchenko and Ederson at later in the move. Uh, I think that is very, very critical from Werner, what he does there. Um, and then obviously Kai Havertz scores and, and that's the winning goal. But I think we've got to credit, obviously, Mason Mount, Ben Chilwell, Mendy, but Timo Werner for me, for everything that he does and doesn't do in front of goal. Uh, this was why he is in the team, which is to distract defenders and take them away and open up space for other guys. That's an excellent point. And I want you to keep a pin in that because I want to come back to that point. But I want to talk about the goal for just a second. I think... Kai Havertz has faced a lot of criticism this season in the fact that he doesn't score enough. He doesn't assist when he plays, he looks off, but the way he controlled that ball and that presence of mind to take that first touch past Ederson and just calmly slot. I mean, you could see the excitement on his face when that ball left his foot and he ran off to celebrate. It was like, it couldn't have gone better for him in everything he did. Right. Right. X. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's there's no way to describe to sum up the feeling when when a goal like that goes in um but i would say just even just looking at those parallels i think did you guys see uh all over the internet were those parallels between torres uh torres's breakaway goal rounding the keeper um and and havertz slotting it home after after his little hop over ederson it was just poetic um and so to your point earlier as well about those those attacking runs, I was just looking and on, I think it was the the Leicester game that we won in the league. Um, people were criticizing Polisic for having a quieter match than usual. But I remember Mason Mount particularly uh, was shining that game. And I was trying to tell people that even if an attacker doesn't get on the score sheet or maybe doesn't have his most brilliant game, it's the interplay and just the presence of mind of our attackers, the Timo Werners, the Christian Polisics, whoever's out there just consistently making those, those threatening runs is what gives space to whoever it may be 
um, to get in there and grab a goal. And this time it was Kai who stole the headlines, um, finished beautifully. And I was, I mean, there's nothing more I can ask from anyone on the team. I know we all would have loved to see Timo Werner bag. And as soon as Kai uh, scored, uh, for a very brief second, I, I mentally thought it was Timo Werner. And then I realized it was Havertz. I was, I would have been thrilled to see Werner really silence the haters here, but I think he's been indispensable. And one of the posts I put up said two flops, just two flops with 45 goal involvements and a champions league trophy. And that was our, our two German attackers sitting together. All I can say is if, if those two are flops, I want more flops like that. Roman Abramovich, please. You definitely want more of those kind of players now, but the point you guys are making is, is really excellent because Rahul, you talked about Werner making those runs off the ball. Alex touched on Mount in doing it in the Leicester game. Actually, for CBS, there was something called a star cam, which I think we talked about just before this podcast kicked off. And you could actually track a special player on each side. And Mount was this player in this case where you could follow his runs around the pitch. I mean, the three up front, and even when Pulisic came on, and even Kante, and even Jorginho, and even Kovacic, I don't know if this was tactically or all the boys were on it on the day, but the runs that they make, just looking around off the ball to open up space and spread city was just second to none. It was something that was just exciting to watch and it creates that space. And yes, there's only two shots on target. Of course, one went in, but the amount of chances that Chelsea got, given that we were the underdogs, was just phenomenal to watch, Rahul. Yeah, it absolutely was. And just coming quickly back to Havertz, I think this was his breakout moment as a Chelsea player. He made it to this club doing whatever he did and everything he did and achieved for Leverkusen. But he struggled this season. He's had his issues. He's had COVID. He's been lonely. Whatever. You, you look at him and you say he's done, his body language is out. Maybe he doesn't have friends. In this moment, in that goal, you saw the player that is in him and the talent that there is. And then you saw the character at the end of the game. And I know we'll get to it where he just goes off script and uses some colorful language. Let, let's get to it. Go ahead and tell us. Yeah, he, he's getting interviewed with uh, Aspilicueta and they ask him, well, Kai, you've just won the Champions League. You've repaid the value, whatever Chelsea paid for you. And he goes, I don't give an F. I've just won the effing uh, Champions League. And this, for someone that doesn't show emotion, was for me, again, like I said, the goal was a breakout moment. But as a character and as a player and a person... This was another breakout moment where you saw him just show emotion. And a lot of fans have been asking for that. Yeah, and Alex, I'm going to get your thoughts, but I want to bring in the second German because, Alex, you run a very popular page, which I want you to talk about in just a second. <laughs> Timo Warner was interviewed at the end of the game, and they asked him a question. And the question was pretty straightforward. I don't remember exactly what was asked of him, but Timo was so emotional that he said, I don't understand the question, but I don't really care. We just won the Champions League. Next question, please. So Alex, I'll get your thoughts here on both these boys and how they handle the media and the excitement. Yeah, that was amazing, honestly, because it really shows you how dedicated they were to this mission and how thrilled they were that it came off well, because anytime, even really after, I mean, even after, say, an FA Cup win or something like that, the Leicester players in this example, or, or any player can sort of string together a few coherent sentences. But I think when you add the elation of a Champions League win, um, and to be fair, the fact that English is not their first language, um, they're just so excited, they're buzzing, they just weren't in the mental space to really, really put together any, any, any long monologues. And you saw that 
Mason Mount as well, he at first said it's impossible to describe this feeling and the reporter kept pushing him. I think they realized the Germans weren't going to give him any good uh, sound bites. Well, good for us. They weren't going to give him any good uh, headlines, perhaps. No uh, PG rated headlines. And then Mason Mount um, dug a little deeper and came up with, with a bit of good commentary. But the fact that all the boys were just so, I don't know, it, it, it almost felt like they were fans just like us in that moment. And I think you love to see that when they're so emotional, they're hugging each other, they can barely speak. I mean, that's, you're, you're talking about them reacting the exact same way a diehard lifelong Chelsea fan would react, just utter, utter, utter joy. And I think it was brilliant to see them almost from that lens, forget their price tags, forget the fact that they just played and won us a Champions League final. They're just thrilled to be here. And I want to circle back to one point that you made, Rahul, and Kai Havertz, and we saw the real Kai Havertz at the end of that game. And we'll talk about that same interview where he kind of went off script and used some fruity language as it was described. But that interview continues on and Cesar Aspilicueta standing next to him. And you can see the emotion from Aspilicueta where he kind of grabs Kai and he shakes him and says, we just won it as well. But then he goes on, composes himself and says, this boy won us the Champions League. This boy is world-class. This boy is incredible. And forget all of that. This boy ran nonstop for 97 minutes. He just kept going and going and going. And that's what it's all about. So question for both of you guys here. It's not just for Kai, Timo, Hakim Ziyech, some of the new signings, some of the younger boys that haven't played enough football. This could potentially be a turning moment in what their careers are going to look like for Chelsea in the next season. You're talking about the level of confidence for 21 to 25 year old young men to have become champions of Europe. Rahul, I'll start with you. It's it, as a group, this is their first trophy. And you think about it, right? I'm going to draw some parallels between 2012 and 2021 in that we Chelsea made it to the, the highest of highs in, in winning the champions league. And that season in 2012 was an end of an era. Lampard, JT, Drogba, Czech. And you look at this team and you're like, this is the beginning of an era, like you said, with the younger guys, with Mason Mount coming through the academy, Reese James. Uh, we have Tammy Abraham for now. Uh, Christensen, who's come through as well. Hudson Adoy. And then you look at the other guys we've added with Timo Werner, uh, Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz. And you're thinking... If this is the first trophy they've just won, literally the, the sky is the ceiling for them and the limit for them. And they've got to use this as a motivation and as a, as a tool to drive the team forward and say, okay, Champions League done. What's next? Premier League. What's next? FA Cup. What's next? Let's win the Champions League again. And if they can do that, obviously with additions from, from uh, other teams in terms of transfers and keeping Tuchel happy and satisfied, uh, I think we're in for a very, very bright future. I don't want to get overly excited because we've done this in the past with Conte and Mourinho. Uh, but with the team that we have and the core that we say we had in the back in the day, we're starting to build that again. And I want the Premier League next. I love that. I love that. I think I completely agree. And I don't want to... Um... I don't want to detract from what any of the boys did did this season and in the Champions League by by getting too uh, deep down in any transfer rumors. But I do think a good thing about this is in addition to giving this young crop of players um, extreme confidence 
I think I think it's great because even the ones who didn't maybe play a crucial role this season, maybe the Billy Gilmore's, Hudson Adoy's, they say, you know what? This is a winning team. This is a this is a young team. This team has a champions mentality. I'm sure they're buzzing with the excitement of this win, whether you play or not. When your team wins the Champions League final, you're thrilled. And I think some of these young players say, you know what? I think I'm going to stick around Chelsea for a little while. Now, maybe some of them still need to go out. Maybe some want their experience. I know Tammy, we love him. He may be on the way out and he does, he does deserve to get some good playing time. But I think some of these younger players who are just on the fringe and looking like they can be great for us in the future, I think this kind of victory makes them realize they're in the right spot. And sort of as, as Rahul uh, mentioned or alluded to, with maybe a few, a few additions coming in from the transfer market, this team could become a dynasty, I think. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe that's a little less common. Um, these days, you talk about, for example, the old Chelsea and Manchester United and Arsenal glory eras where they would have a core of players and it was, it was crazy high quality, crazy leadership, um, star power. But I, that's the most exciting thing for me is that this is, this is not like the end of a story. The, the 2012 Champions League was a brilliant, beautiful end of the story. And as I always said, the most poetic thing would be Cesar Azpilicueta, who came in right after that, lifting the trophy to usher in this new era. And this is really just the start of something new. Yeah, that's a good transition point to Azpilicueta because I was watching an interview that happened where Azpilicueta actually ran into Abramovich in the tunnel. And from various news sources, what we heard is they exchanged a brief chat where he said, boss, this Champions League is for you. Let me go and grab the cup. And Azpilicueta runs off to go find the cup. And of course, all the boys are running around celebrating with it and he can't get it off their hands and rightly so. But the gentleman that he is, he makes it back to the tunnel and talks to the boss man himself and says, couldn't get the cup, but boss, I hope you're happy. And, and of course, Ibrahimovic is happy. And Alex, you had said this before, Azpilicueta has been a stalwart, a legend in the making. Now he's definitely a sealed legend. Came in after the last Champions League, has won and lifted this one. Where does he go from here? Does he still have a few years left in him? I mean, I would love to see him stay with us. I think he's one where you look at Thiago Silva, who I think became the oldest Chelsea player, was it, to start in a major European final um, at 36 years of age. And you say, you know what? If Thiago Silva can do it, Azpilicueta's got a few more years in him. And I, I love that. I think I, 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 I maybe think too much in memes, but if anyone has seen that image of the, I think it's the Ninja Turtles when they're young being held by that, that older guide. And then the, the reverse image of the old man and the four Ninja Turtles all guiding him. I mean, to me, that kind of perfectly sums up Azpilicueta where he comes in after this, this end of this glory era. Um, and he's, he's now, captained a squad full of exciting young boys talented talented players really i mean yet to even approach the peak of their careers if we talk in terms of the traditional maybe an attacker peaking around 26 27 28 years old or a defender peaking maybe even later 28 29 30 um, when they've got that experience this team is not even yet uh, the, the potential they've got is amazing um, and so I think it's, it's really just beautiful that Azpilicueta has brought us along this way. He's a model captain. Um, and all I have to say, I, 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 I'm so glad he goes down because for me, he's a Chelsea legend, no doubt about it. 
Oh, your thoughts on Dave? He's he's definitely a legend. I mean, seven million pounds for him back in 2012. I, I, what else can you say? He's played every position in that back line. He scored goals as an attacker. He stepped up to take penalties, if I remember right. Um, and now he goes on and wins the biggest trophy that's out there. And it was very fitting to see him lift it, walk over. And that was just everything that you needed to see uh, because he's deserved it. He's earned it. He showed that uh, you don't have to spend millions on, on a defender, on a player to get value out of them. Like we said, seven million. And he plays like he's worth, he's, he's just priceless for me. Uh, and he's 31. He absolutely has a lot more to give to the club. And uh, even if it's not as a starter, like we saw earlier this season, whenever he comes in, he does a job as a professional. And as the captain of this club, like you said, Jack, he's shaking up Havertz and just getting him, uh, you know, knowing that he values him as a teammate and as a player. What else do you need? I mean, Aspilicueta, Daves, whatever you want to call him, he's a legend and he will go down as one whenever he decides to leave the club. And you spoke, spoke about him leading the team, saying things to encourage the boys as general. Um, what did the team feel like to you, Raul? What does this mean for this team? I mean, several pictures came out of Mason Mount, Ben Chilwell, Reese James, Hudson Adoy, Tammy Abraham. And I'm mentioning these names because these are boys that have been there from the youth. Okay, Ben Chilwell came from outside, but they were almost sitting down on the pitch flat, looking to the abyss like, they didn't understand that they just won the Champions League. But it wasn't just them. You've got the senior guys in Jorginho, who was incredible. Kovacic, who came on, who was incredible. Don't even talk about Conte right now, who was unbelievable. What does it mean for them? It's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's coming together of all the hard work over the last few seasons. You think about, was it two years ago at this point, when we had ended the season winning the Europa League, and there was all this uncertainty around who's going to be manager, who's going to be playing. We have a transfer ban. And I think it's a good point to bring up Frank Lampard and Jody Morris and, and Neil Bath and the work they've done to get us to this position with the younger guys, like you mentioned, Jackie Mason Mount, Reese James, Tammy Abraham, Hudson Adoy, Billy Gilmore. All these guys were given a chance and the opportunity by Frank Lampard. And he got them into a position. And yes, people may say, well, he only used them because... You guys had a transfer ban, but he still had to coach them. He still had to train them. He still had to get them into a position to play week after week. And he did that. And yes, he wasn't the one leading us out there in this, in this final, but he got us in that position to say Mason Mount is an absolute starter in this team. We've not even spoken about Reese James in that much, but he was absolutely phenomenal in that final. He, you look like he, he you, you think he's beaten, by Sterling, and he comes back and makes a tackle. And so I'm kind of going in all different directions, but just coming back to what this means for the team, it's the start of something great. And it may not be like we know as a club and as fans of Chelsea under Tuchel in maybe in a year or two, but it's with these players, we have absolutely everything out there that we can win, and I'm sure they want to continue that. Yeah, Alex, I'd like to get your thoughts on the team and then maybe even on Frank Lampard. Yeah, I mean, I think even... Even tied into this sort of team success, it's so easy to get, get, get talking about any individual player because I think they all played an amazing role. They all, as we said, gave it their all. And even this, this sort of team effort, I feel like 
comes about so well because it's the culmination of a lot of individual stories and individual motivations and individual struggles that all of these players have overcome. And I was just thinking about it because really so many of our players this season and in past seasons have dealt with things, all sorts of things. I mean, you have, you have the Edward Mendy story where he was jobless and on unemployment at 23-ish years old and then had to fight his way back through the French leagues. And then he starts a Champions League final, record number of clean sheets and wins it. Amazing individual story. You have Azpilicueta, who went glory era into the new glory era, as we've discussed. You had Christian Pulisic, who's the first American to appear in and win the Champions League. Um, you, uh, every one of these players they they started either they started from the bottom or they overcame some difficulties you have Conte who had a tough upbringing came onto the scene amazing great for Leicester great for Chelsea and now he's absolutely world-class undeniably best in his position and he deserves every little bit of it he's still so humble I mean we were talking about Reese James he was getting racially abused at the start of the season um, he had to delete his Instagram at one point. I noticed he's now luckily back on Instagram. And here he is putting in an absolute shift. I won't steal Jackie's thunder, but I know you you appreciated his work. I, I, I could go on for every single Chelsea player out there. Everyone has overcome something. And I mean, I can't, I can't forget Jorginho, unbelievable levels of abuse um, from Chelsea fans, which is kind of just disgusting to me. I, I completely understand how you could not like him. Um, in the Chelsea system because he plays in a way that a lot of people, I mean, it makes us nervous. He concedes some goals sometimes. Um, but I, I think I, I put it out on Twitter and, and it got a fair number of likes, just a little clip of Jorginho's interview where he was in tears um, with the reporter. I, what, what stands out to me too, what I, what I still think of and what reminds me of being special about him. I remember when he walked into the Chelsea club store um, with his mother, when he was first signed for Chelsea and it was like a massive step in his career for him because he'd been in Italy. And here he was in the biggest league in the world, one of the most popular teams in the world. He walked into the Chelsea mega store and saw a shirt, a Chelsea kit with his name on it. And he was hugging his mother. And I was just like near tears watching that video. Um, I mean, even now, it's just amazing. I could, I, I, I could keep going. So I've got to stop. But it's every one of these players has come through so much. And when you have all of these players who have overcome abuse and they've overcome injuries and they've overcome personal struggles and their entire childhood backgrounds, I mean, this was just poetic for me. Absolutely. And I want to say one thing, and then Rahul, I want you to talk a little bit about tactics for us, but just to pile on the Jorginho love, this was his last post that he put on Instagram and I'm just going to read it out real quick. Sorry for my bad voice here. Another year together, this group is family, his team is home. We've achieved something big and living it with all of you guys has made it even more special. Thank you guys. See you very soon for another special moment together. So Jorginho is telling you the team spirit is up there. It's high. It's going to be something incredible. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves and go, we're going to win the next three champions league like Real Madrid, but it just goes to show that the team spirit is high and, and it's probably a good segue to talk about tactics. And Rahul, what I want to talk about tactics is our Tinkerman Tuchel, who we've called him Tikka Mantukul a few times, seem to have got everything right on the day. I mean, what are your thoughts on this and his tactics? He he played exactly the way we thought he was going to. He played his back three. He played his wing backs, which stretched the game. Uh, and then he played his two German guys who made runs and allowed the team to 
uh, feed them with the balls. And I think Alex mentioned that at the beginning of the show, Mendy made one save, if I'm right, Alex, I think you had mentioned. In a Champions League final to make one save, it's just unbelievable. That shows you the, uh, you know, the shape that he's put into place, Tuchel has. And he's done all of this in four months. He came in at the end of January and it's now the end of May. Um, and I'm sure in his wildest dreams, he didn't think he was going to win the Champions League. But that's what you get for, for changing managers mid-season. And for changing a manager, no disrespect to Lampard, who is uh, in Tuchel, who's very tactical, like we're saying. He thinks about every little detail of the game. He thinks about what players may do even before they do it on the pitch. Um, and you saw that with with everything that happened on Saturday and him on the sideline just pumping up the players, pumping up the crowd. It was like he knew that we were going to win and he just had to do his piece by putting all the players in the right positions. And we scored the one goal that's all it takes and we held on. I mean, City put a lot of pressure. That second half was, I could hear my heart beating in, in, a, in a bar full of people, but it was just the craziest thing. And you've got to give credit to Tuchel. You've got to give credit to his uh, staff and you've got to give credit to the players who came together after losing a legend like Lampard and saying, we've got to give it our all and see where it takes us. This is a great discussion point, Alex. Frank Lampard spent 200 odd million in the summer. We acquired quite a few players, obviously some of them young, new to the league, COVID situation. But Frank Lampard was quoted as saying, this team is not ready to compete yet. Of course, we know what happened. Frank was moved on. Tuchel comes in and Tuchel says, we will make a team that everybody's afraid to compete against. And here we are going into the Champions League final and we showed no fear like we've discussed and we've won the Champions League. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, so originally when, when Lampard said that, I think people sort of agreed. And then as Tuchel came, because we, we weren't in great form. We were off and on. We were streaky. When Tuchel came in and then, I mean, I guess I should, I, I think it's Tuchel. My dad mentioned, or I don't know who mentioned it to me. I think I need to, I need to try to say his name, right? I know, I, Jackie, you've been a, maybe an advocate for that. But <laughs> um, I think when he comes in and he immediately says, we're going to build a team that everyone's scared to play against then people, people are like, okay, wow, now we've got a stronger mindset in Lampard was weak minded. He wasn't up to the job. I do think, um, I mean, I think maybe, maybe both of them were being, I think maybe Lampard was trying to undersell the expectations so that people didn't get ahead of themselves. And Tuchel was maybe trying, Tuchel was maybe trying to oversell um, to sort of, you know, set the bar high and see if the players can live up to that standard. But I almost feel like both can be true simultaneously in that when Lampard said there's, we're not ready to compete at the highest level, we did then see under Tuchel, even after these, these games, um, we had a great intro to his period as a manager. We had that little shaky bit um, heading into the final, and it's easy to forget now maybe in the triumph of a Champions League final, but there's a reason we were the underdogs. We were coming off a loss in the FA Cup, um final we'd lost against arsenal and to that end i almost see it as maybe we weren't ready to compete at the highest level so to speak in that our players didn't turn up properly for an fa cup final we lost the trophy mason mount came out and said it was absolutely heartbreaking um losing those two finals the one uh last year and the one this year in the fa cup and he said he knew he didn't want to feel like that again 
Um, and that this whole group of players this year, including the new signings, felt that pain in the FA Cup. So you know what? Maybe I, I throw Lampard a bone here and I say, okay, the players weren't entirely up to it because maybe a team that's that everyone's scared to play against shows up in a Champions League final and against Arsenal at the end of the season. But I think there was some character development and they, they showed that form is nothing to go by because when a team goes out and put, puts their heart uh, into a game, this, anything can happen. ESPN Sports, CBS Sports, NBC Sports, if you're listening and you need a new pundit, you need to take Alex on because that's some great facts and some great analysis. And honestly, very neutral of you. I really appreciate the way you broke that down. That was incredible. Rahul, one thing we need to talk about with Tuchel is you were not his biggest fan. In fact, when we were talking about some of this information, we were all three on the podcast and we said, Frank may be leaving. Of course, we didn't know at the time. And you said, and I quote, we need to discuss this. If Frank is going to be leaving, who would you rather have? I would not want Thomas Tuchel coming in. What are your thoughts now? <laughs> I, I have to own up to it and then say, yes, I, I did say that back in the day. And that was more because I didn't want Lampard to leave. Um, and more down to the fact that I hadn't watched enough of Tuchel, Tuchel. Um, and I just seen PSG make it to the final last season and lose. And as a PSG manager, you're always expected to win um, the league unless you're Pochettino. Uh, but jokes aside, I, I personally hadn't seen enough of um, Tuchel. I hadn't seen enough of what he does on the field. And so uh, in that point, four months ago, before a Champions League win... <laughs> Uh, I think I was right to say what I said, but I've got to put my hand up and say he's he's made a fan out of me and he's convinced me with everything he's done. And like Alex was saying, I think uh, the squad isn't completely ready in the sense that consistently week after week right. to do it, to do it seven games in the Champions League every two weeks or every you know few few weeks. Yes, they did it and congratulations to them. But I think the real test is coming next season. So Tuchel made a fan out of you, Alex. He may have made a fan out of another major name here in Roman Abramovich. So Tuchel got hired mid-season, never actually physically met Roman Abramovich face-to-face until he met him on the pitch of the Estadio Drago. What does this mean for Tuchel? <laughs> yeah, that was that was honestly incredible. I think it was probably down to Abramovich's visa issues and his inability to enter England. But I mean... <laughs> That's got to be the best way to meet your employer, having just won them the biggest honor that you can physically win them with their team. Um, I mean, from like prestige, a financial standpoint, like a, a an emotional standpoint, that's, I mean, that's sort of like, that. that's almost like going into that's almost like going into your new job at a small startup company. And before you can even meet your boss, you've already turned them into a billion dollar company. I mean, it's like he he's walking into to this meeting with Abramovich uh, as his players run circles holding the UEFA Champions League trophy. So unbelievable conditions, really, for that meeting to occur. Um, I know it was funny. Some of the clips I saw of Abramovich suggested he was he's a little bit of a shy guy himself. Um, it seems like he certainly is is a bit private. Um, I saw a picture of him hugging Conte. Both were looking away. It was it was really funny. They they he was he was appreciating the players. They were appreciating him. Um, and I think it's it's just the time to to reinforce 
I don't know what he has to do. We need to get this man back in England because he deserves to watch his team fight for the Premier League. Um, all he did for the NHS during COVID, um, he was a really good uh, owner then, didn't use any uh, government aid schemes, cough, Liverpool. Um, he wasn't laying off kitchen workers to fund Williams' new contract, cough, Arsenal. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying there are levels to this game in a lot of ways. And as far as owners go, he is top tier, clearly cares about the club. And I couldn't be any happier. Everyone, everyone who hates on him would take him in a heartbeat as their club's owner. That's all I can say. Yeah. Very beautifully put Rahul. What does Tuchel have to do next? Because as far as your first meeting, your boss, like Alex said, you went from a startup to a hundred million or a hundred billion dollar company overnight. In this case, we won the champions league. Is this a good thing for Tuchel or is he going to just be looking over his shoulder now trying to find the next best thing? Hey, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I hear what Alex is saying and it's definitely a good way to make your first impression. <laughs> also, it's the question is, what are you going to do for me next? And uh, like Alex said, Roman seems to be a shy guy, an introvert, but you know how ruthless he can be behind the scenes. Um, and I'm sure this buys Tuchel more time than... Uh, it would have if he ended the season without a trophy and we'll get to his new contract. And uh, I think obviously for Tuchel next, it's got to be like I was saying, the premier league, because we haven't won it in a while. And, and Roman's going to say, all right, you won me the champions league without any transfer window, without a full season preseason. What do you need? How can I help you? Uh, and let's go again. And it probably starts with him buying him a new pair of shoes because <laughs> those shoes from the final got wrecked. <laughs> that was a wonderful scene if you haven't seen it you should see all the players grabbing Tuchel's shoes but that's a good point there in what he's going to do next but it's also interesting to see Roman and Abramovich and what you guys have both touched on showed up to the women's champion league final showed up to this champions league final I mean there was an interview that happened after the champion league final with one of the interviewers talking to Tuchel and Tuchel said or alluded to that his manager Tuchel's manager has already said there's a contract waiting for him. And I don't know how true this is. Again, this is from Tuchel's mouth, but it's interesting to see that how quickly Chelsea work, or maybe they were already impressed whether he won or did not win and they were going to extend his contract. But hopefully we now have that sorted and we have a manager going forward for the next couple of seasons here. So a couple of other things, Raul, you wanted to talk about Champions League in London. And you've told us London is blue because we now have two Champions League. Common knowledge there. But I was going to say, we didn't need another one to keep London blue, did we? <laughs> we didn't. And I mean, like you said, we had one and, and that was more than any other club in London. And now we have two, which is, again, more than any other club in London. But I think the point of this, of this uh, bringing this up is that I think for a while it was like, okay, you won one by the other clubs, the rivals saying, okay, you won one, whatever. Anyone can win one apart from them. Uh, but now <laughs> I think when you want the second one, it automatically just makes you more of a, a powerhouse in Europe. Other clubs, other teams, other players look at you and say, well, I mean, they, they seem to go back and do it again. And, uh, you know, they have the hunger to go back and the owner wants to go back. And we did the first one. It took us a while, the Holy Grail, we secured it. And then we've gone ahead and done it again in, in the most unforeseen, unpredictable circumstances where nobody thought it was going to happen. So I think it just elevates Chelsea not that they needed it but it just elevates them a, a little bit further than their rivals in London 
who always talk about the history and Arsenal have done this and Tottenham have done this, but it's Chelsea who's making the history, not reliving it, like we say. And I think that's the point is that the second Champions League, the second star on that jersey that's going to come come out next season, it just puts you in a whole different conversation than, you know, okay, well, you won one, what next? It, for me, it's, I look at players like Harry Kane, I look at like Mbappe, Holland on the move this summer, and they say, hmm, maybe I don't have to go all the way to Manchester. I could stay in London and, and continue winning trophies or, or start winning trophies in the case of uh, Harry Kane. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also the, as you said, the, the one-off, we had a brilliant final, but we were also, and this isn't even, this isn't really undermining it because it was, it was the perfect, the perfect culmination to, to a lot of our star players, real glory years. Um, and really a perfect culmination to that first early Abramovich era with that 2012 Champions League win. Um, but we were outplayed, if you look at it from a tactical armchair uh, in critic's point of view in a lot of those games. I mean, you had that, you could call it brilliant defense. It doesn't really matter. Um, but we were parking the bus against the likes of Barcelona, Bayern, et cetera. Um, and to come away with the trophy is, is brilliant for Chelsea um, in the moment. But I think when you then go this gap, not even quite a decade, you go this gap of less than a decade, you refresh your entire squad. In that transition period, you're still grinding out Premier League wins, FA Cup wins. I mean, you're, 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 you're not going trophyless. There are some teams that go trophyless during their transition years. I mean, um, there, there are plenty of examples that I won't even bother to name, but I think this is this is a great a great advert, as you were saying, Rahul, to young talents all over the world, because this this really shows you that if you go to Chelsea, there's I mean I I, I don't even know how best to explain it. I think the fact that within a decade you went from a glory era to then a trophy filled rebuild and then right back to the top with the champions league. And now looking like we could keep the success going with a young team, as long as we keep refreshing and making good adjustments. I think that just proves to people that if I want in my career to compete for the very biggest honors, Chelsea is a place I can do that. Maybe we see a shift away from the mindset of I need to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona to get to the very top of my game. Maybe it becomes you know, Real Madrid and Barca are absolutely great, prestigious, all that, but I can win the Champions League. I can win the Premier League. I can win the Cups, hopefully, if 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 there's no more VAR issues um, at Chelsea. So I just, I love the fact that this really does solidify our place as an elite club. And, and, and being the Premier Chels, you're talking about, we talk all things Premier League and starting with Chelsea first, but the Premier League is really represented the Champions League very heavily in the last few seasons. Liverpool twice, Tottenham, Manchester City now, Chelsea. I mean, we've made it to multiple finals in the last few seasons, showing that this is the best league in the world. Rahul, I know you wanted to jump in and say something real quick. I did, and now I've lost that train of thought. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's a great advert for the Premier League and for players around the world who look at um, even not just the top four, top six. There's other teams in the Premier League that you could go to and then make a move. Uh, I think it's it's great for for the English game and for the Premier League and uh, long may it continue. If my yeah. thought comes back, I'm going to come back. Definitely but... bring it up. But I want to 
pluck out a couple of key points you guys have made in the last few minutes here. And that's the difference between the two champions league. Alex touched on what we did in 2012 and that's forever going to be incredible because it's our first champions league. But the way you described it, Alex was the route to that final was very hard earned and very defensive. And dare I say, sometimes we wrote our luck. Maybe that's a little bit too scary to say, maybe not, but this particular champions league being the second one, the teams we dispatched in the way that we dispatched them and going to the final and showed no fear to play Manchester City is something that just elevates it another level. And what you've touched on between going from 2012 to now, not even a decade later, but we had two Europa Leagues, two Premier Leagues, FA Cups in between, Carling Cup in between. I mean, no other team in the world does a transition over a decade, cycles out every single player except Aspilicueta, and still continues to perform at this level. And something needs to be said about the management staff. Now we've talked about Tuka, we talked about Abramovich, but there's a couple of people up in the management staff, like Petr Cech coming back in and Marina leading the team with transfers and things like that. Raul, I want to get your thoughts on this. My thought has come back. Good. So let me give that one first. Uh, a lot of pundits, a lot of professionals say, well, when you go to Chelsea, you don't get the stability. I remember when Pulisic moved to Chelsea, it was, well, he's going to have a new manager every two or three years. Well, he's also going to have trophies every every season or every other season. So the model that Chelsea have employed with hiring and firing obviously seems to do the trick. And so I don't think it really matters to players out there that they've changed managers every so often. Uh, and coming to your other point, which was, can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> <laughs> I said, we talked a lot about the players. We talked about Tuchel, right. but something needs to be said about the staff that's a little bit higher beneath Abramovich. You're talking about a Marina or even Petr Cech who joined in the recent history, what they're doing to continue us on this trophy-laden success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a, a, a club driven by trophies. It's a club driven to make decisions to win us trophies. And you saw that back in January, Lampard wasn't getting the job done, a club legend. They said, you know what, Tuchel's out there. We're going to go get him and we'll see how it goes. And and fans will obviously come back around once they realize what the, the ambition is. Again, with the Super League, as soon as they realize the fans don't want it, they backed out and they were the first club to say, we'll have a fan representative on the board. So there, there's there, obviously this club is, you know, wants to make money, wants to be the best in in, in the business but they also care about what the fans want, which we've seen in the last few months. And even with having fans in the stadium the other day and subsidizing, and I know everyone said, well, it's not the whole thing like Man City, but the club does what it can. And Roman Abramovich, who was football's original billionaire, came in and everyone said, well, he's only here to, to you know just have a toy or have a time pass club. He's put in so much money and, and brought in people that run the club when he's not around, like you guys said. He hasn't been at Stanford Virgin in London in almost two years. And they continue to turn out results, and the job gets done. And it's not just the men. It's the women as well and the youth, which he's been a big advocate of from the beginning. So I think the club is set up to succeed regardless of who's playing, who's managing. They're always going to put out a team that's competing and, and going out there and winning. Yeah, I, I think like Chelsea is the best. Oh, I, yeah. I was just going to say, I think Chelsea are the best run club in the world at the moment um, in general. Now, I will say, I'm sure there are clubs operating on a very, very small budget who maybe don't make the headlines, don't make the trophies that are exceptionally well run. But for a club of the stature of Chelsea, I think 
especially with the recent outrage by a lot of fan bases towards their ownership, towards their boards, it's just cemented all the more so that while opposition fans are going to moan and cry and call us an oil club and call us ruining football, which I think we all love to hear. Um, it means we're doing something right when they moan that we're ruining football. Um, as you have Arsenal fans uh, begging for their ownership to leave, you have Liverpool fans begging for their ownership to leave. You have Manchester United fans who started the purge in their own stadium because they wanted to get their ownership out. I mean, you then have, you have the gods of corruption over in Spain, uh, Papa Perez and his cronies trying to desperately dredge up some money with their Super League scheme because their clubs have been run into the ground financially. Barcelona is, they, they just sold Luis Suarez, I don't know, for what, like five million or for free, who knows, um, to their direct rival. And then he won their direct rival. I mean, the, the management at a lot of European clubs right now is shambolic. It's, it's horrendous. You, you wonder how these people stay in power. You had that, the Bartomeu saga uh, at Barcelona. It's unbelievably how, unbelievable how poorly run some of these clubs are. And amidst all of this, taking the heat from rivals about being, being just billionaire-backed and, and oil money is Roman Abramovich hiring the right people, getting us trophies, managing the youth, as we've said, managing the first team, building the women's team into a powerhouse, there's, there is not a single, uh, there are very few people, football fans the world over who would not in a snap of their fingers, take Roman Abramovich and Chelsea's management staff instantly to run their club. Like I said, if anybody's listening and needs a pundit, Alex speaks the facts guys. I mean, all of this is true and nicely said. And one thing I'll add on top of that, just outside the champions league, when financial fair play came into effect, there's not much Abramovich can do to just subsidize his money anymore. Chelsea as a club needs to balance its own finances going forward. So yes, definitely there's an influx in the beginning very early on, but at this point they're managing themselves from the people like Marina talking about how she does transfers and manages things and make sure we change managers if we need to, we sell players if we need to, we buy players if we need to. So things are going in the right way and are getting managed correctly. And just like Alex said, I think it's one of the best managed teams in Europe right now. But what I want to talk about next, guys, is individual players. We've talked a little bit about the Germans. We've talked a little bit about goalkeeper Edu Mendy and his story. Alex, you want to talk about Pulisic coming on, right? I I certainly did. I think oh, I first of all, iconic for an American player to have made his first Champions League Absolutely. final appearance. Um, great sign for the game in the U.S. And I know he had a an interview afterwards where he said he wanted to show young American players that they too can make it to the top stages. Um, there was a great video of his dad uh, while he was taking a picture with the trophy, his dad grabbing the Champions League medal from around his neck and putting it over his shoulder so that the USA crest on his sweatshirt is clearly visible. Um, I mean, a lot of that was just deeply symbolic. Uh, amazing to see, especially as an American fan of Chelsea, obviously of Pulisic. Um, the the one thing that I think we all know could have made it a little sweeter was that that 1v1 chance that he did not quite manage to put in the net. 
Um, I've actually got uh, I've got the audio recording here. Let's hear it from from the the bar <laughs> where Rahul <laughs> and I were stationed. As Polisic almost put that chance, and I'll play it right now. Maybe it'll go through. Yeah, the, I, you can't see it, but at the very end of that, Christian Pulisic just slams his hand to the turf. He was kicking himself, but, you know, we can't no. dwell on that miss, I don't think. It was unlucky, and Ederson did a great job closing it down. Wasn't the easiest chance. This was no no disrespect to Timo Werner, but this was not the type of sitter that people slander Timo over um, where you really do think he should be putting it in. He also created the chance himself with some interplay, as the Polisic defender that I am, I say, you know what? This just gives him more hunger to come back next year and score in the final. Look, I don't know how you guys don't have lost voice like I do after hearing that audio clip there. You guys were just as passionate and screaming as much as I was over there. But to talk about Polisic, I think when he came on, I personally was very excited because what he brings to the team, and we've talked about him and raved about him on this podcast, is that energy and that individual brilliance, which he had. That was not an easy chance to put away. And while it frustrated a bunch of us fans and saying, put that in, so it's 2-0 and Rahul's heartbeat doesn't go through the roof and Alex and I can keep our voices, it happens. It's a Champions League final. So many things could go wrong. And it's just he kept getting into those opportunities. And for that, it's unbelievable. But Rahul, another man we need to talk about here other than Pulisic, and there's a lot of rave about this gentleman, and that's Ingolo Kante. So I want to get your thoughts on this guy. What more do I say about this guy? He runs for days. He reads the game like there's no other player that can do it. Uh, he goes up front. I mean, maybe he score a few goals that would help out. Uh, but, uh, man, if this guy was not 100% and he played this way in this final, I don't even know what he would do if he was 100%. We'd probably be uh, not even concede a shot on goal. But he was absolutely just flawless he just had did everything right read the game you knew where he was going to be you knew where he wasn't going to be uh and then at the end he's the 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 funniest thing for me was in the in the celebration when they're lifting the trophy he's just in the background like trying to see what's going on and celebrating and then zuma lifts him and and says look this is what's going on Uh, but he's a very humble guy i think there was a new story that broke today that one of his ex-teammates invited him to a birthday party and Angolo said showed up with a box of chocolates and said I actually didn't never been invited to a birthday party and I didn't know what to bring and he's just like you just can't hate that man he smiles and everything seems right in the world and uh, I don't know he was hugging his mom at the end and he's had a very very rough time and even in the last few years he lost his brother and you could never tell that on the pitch he just plays like everything's fine and he's there for his teammates and there's just not more you can say apart from he deserves the Ballon d'Or for the year. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to disagree with you there. And there's so many things that have come out about Conte as a whole and his story. And I want to talk about him for just a second. I mean, he struggled to find a good team and a good fit for where he's going to play. He started in lower leagues, made his way up to the Premier League of France. And from there, he was acquired by Leicester. Within his first season, I mean, we all saw what a player they had on his hands, on their hands. He won them, not of course not on his own, but he was a critical part in them winning a Premier League. 
Chelsea stole him for 30 million. I mean, 30 million dollars or 30 million pounds won back-to-back Premier Leagues with them. There's so many things where he did not want to buy a, a car. He was happy to run to training and they told him, don't run to training, you need to buy a car. He asked Chelsea and he's asked Leicester to pay him like he's a human being and not one of the superstars. I mean, I know he gets paid a, a good amount of money, but just the humbleness of this man and then talking about the talent to cover every single blade of grass nonstop for 90 minutes game after game after game. It's just incredible. Alex, any thoughts on Conte? Yeah, he's he's absolutely amazing. Um, I think maybe second to Christian Pulisic following me back on Instagram, my life, my secondary life's goal has to be to hug N'Golo Conte because I don't know, maybe I just I just can't see. I've never seen such such a pure force of happiness uh, in the world. Um, he just brings a smile to everyone's face. I actually I already have for any any listeners, I've got a little preview. I already have a, a real setup of when I think it was Ben Chilwell going around on an Instagram live to all the players and he went in a big circle um, and he stopped on every single player's face and they were all screaming, let's go. They were, they were thrilled. And Conte just like smiles and like puts his thumbs up and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful summary of who he is. He's so nice. Um, and I, I do have to give credit to, to one other player who I think was immense um, Conte obviously got man of the match, and I know we'll touch on that next, but I think uh, Antonio Rudiger just has to be spoken about for what he's done, um, what he's brought to the team lately. Um, and I would say, I would, I would go out and say that for all the people, all the Chelsea fans who are bemoaning our lack of a Diego Costa type fiery player um, with, with a warrior mentality, with a little bit of, um, you know, a, a bit of a windup, you could say uh got he's got a a dirty tackle in him perhaps he's got a a little bit of a push and shove um clearly fighting for the badge clearly going to protect his teammates I think that is an attitude that any club needs to succeed on the highest levels it doesn't matter if if you have one player who has it or five players who have it it needs to be in the squad because it's infectious Um, And when one player goes out with that level of dedication and determination and just warrior spirit, um, it ups the game of everyone around him. And I want to say right now, I did not, I've told you guys before, I am now going to make it very clear when I have uh, strong opinions about players, because I thought Rudiger was getting unnecessary flack um, in between the, the sorry period. um, I believe, well, what, what under, um, under Antonio Conte, he won the league. Um, but I think I think then with that that interim period, the the sorry uh, era, Rudiger was getting slandered, um, and then you had Lampard come in, uh, and he was not necessarily in favor uh, under Lampard all the time. So a lot of people were saying a lot of things about him, and then the rumors broke that he was the one who got Lampard fired, which have now been sort of backtracked. Um, so. I think for all the abuse that Rudiger has gotten, I never quite bought the idea that he went from a title winning center back who we were saying was on par with some of the best center backs in the league in that title winning season to a total bum. Like some Chelsea fans would have had you think, and we've seen him right back at his best. There's nothing more I can say, but that also I I will violate that instantly. And I will say now that that tackle he made in the beginning of the game was unbelievable because I watched it back probably 10 times 
And Phil Foden actually came out baller, by the way. I mean, I was going to troll the fact that their star boy, their English star boy didn't quite show up. Ours got the Champions League final winning assist. Phil Foden is a fantastic player. He had a great shot ready with the outside of his boot. I guarantee you that was going past Mendy because it had power and perfect direction. But Tony Rudiger came flying across and absolutely clattered the ball out of the way. I mean, what a player. What a player. Lovely words for Rudiger there. Let's talk about the man of the match, guys. And you guys have talked about quite a few players here. We know who the formal man of the match is. But Rahul, your thoughts and who would you pick? It's a tough one because they all put in 10 out of 10 performances. Uh, and N'Golo Kante got it. We've mentioned Rudiger. Uh, I'm going to go with Kai Havertz for the fact that he pops up with the game-winning goal and, and doesn't stop running, like Aspilicueta said. Um, and his overall, he was winning headers. He was doing everything he could for the cause of the game. He almost assisted Pulisic for, that, for a goal. Uh, so I'm going to go with Havertz. And before you guys go, just move on with the players. We've just got to talk about their uh, referee real quick. So once we're done with the man of the match, let's just come back to that for a second and then um, we can wrap it up. Alex, your man of the match? I mean, I think, honest, at the very beginning of the game, after that that Sterling ball over the top, I was impressed and in, in watching Reese James. Um, he put in an absolute shift. I think he made seven tackles and no other player made more than three. Then I also thought N'Golo Kante, obviously, the more I then watched those highlights back, the more I saw those little things he did that I hadn't even picked up the first time. And obviously some of those big moments too, his massive tackle on on Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I think he made 100% of his tackles. He made 100% of his take-ons. I I think he had, uh, he he, he just had a fantastic, fantastic game. Um, But I I'm feeling edgy tonight. So I'm going to go, I'm going to stick with my guy, Tony Rudiger, actually, um, who I think maybe, maybe if he wasn't on stats rated the best on the pitch, I think his mentality and his mindset and that unbelievable block at the beginning of the game set the tone for this final. And we all came out and played with that warrior spirit that he's been showing week in week out. Don't forget the, the body check. (laughs) (laughs) very very true (laughs) love it guys i want to talk about the defenders as a whole i want to i want to know how that back three plus our wing backs in ben chiller and reese james james kept their pants on and the reason i asked that question is because they kept those manchester city players in their pocket the entire night and for that i'm going to give a lot of credit to reese james who's my man of the match the amount of times that Raheem Sterling went past him and we thought this is going to be danger. And he just went back and somehow pulled a tackle, the physicality, the strength, the power going forward. For me, he was unbelievable and an Academy product. Reese James was my man of the match. Best right back in the world. <laughs> he's he's got to be going to, yeah. to, um, I was going to say, he's got to go be going to England with the euros, but euros uh, with England and, if he's not first choice, then I think there's something seriously wrong. Right. Someone said, uh, call, call Reese James Bitcoin the way he made Sterling irrelevant. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> oh. the, the guy had him on lock. That's all I could say. So I, I think I, I put out a post a day or two after the final and said, somebody please tell Reese James to let Sterling out of his pocket. Raheem just wants to go home. Um, <laughs> 
it was I, I saw and, and obviously rival fans quick to discredit any Chelsea player success or saying, oh, it's not hard to pocket Sterling this season. But the, you, you have to sort of put form out the window when you're talking about a player as tricky and as skillful as as a Raheem Sterling or Mares, who Chilwell dealt with brilliantly on the left. You just have to have to applaud these two who I think, jokes aside, are the most balanced fullback duo in the world. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to claim they're the best. I'm not going to claim they're individually the best in their positions, but I think from the attacking threat that both carry and the defensive solidity that both carry, I think, I think there's no question for me that we have maybe the most versatile, you could say uh, fullback pairing where you could tell them both to play Mourinho style, park the bus and they wouldn't put a foot wrong, or you could tell them to play, Liverpool PL winning season bombing up the flanks crossing in balls and they play that role quite well uh, as well so I think I think you've got to give so much credit to those guys at fullback nicely said absolutely agree with you Rahul you want to talk about the referee before we wrap it up yeah I actually have another person I want to talk about before (laughs) I talk about the referee and that's uh, Andreas Christensen who came on was it midway through that first half and comes on for comes on for Thiago Silva, who uh, was a big loss in in the injury, but we didn't feel like we were missing a leader in Silva because Christensen came on and and did a great job. And I've been critical of him in the past, so I'm going to put my hand up again and say that I got it wrong. So uh, congratulations to Christensen and Silva. Uh, Obviously, he's won it this time around. And coming to the referee, uh, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about VAR and how bad referees are. In this case, we just got to give the credit to um, Antonio Mateo Lajos, he had a, an excellent game. I mean, everything from the first whistle to uh, booking Rudiger for that body check, like I was mentioning when Alex said that was a man of the match, to the handball call that City were begging for, he got everything right, and you've got to give the man credit. And if he's available, then we'd like to bring him to the Premier League and train some of these referees in, in England because that standard of refereeing he showed in the final was deserving of his place there. So just before we wrap it up, I want to say one quick thing. We are champions of Europe. It's been nine years in the making. You can hear from my voice. I had a very exciting time. You heard from the clips that Alex has played that he had a very exciting time. If you haven't seen the Premier Chelsea Instagram page, you can see that Rahul's heart rate went through the roof. But guys, we are once again champions of Europe. And I have to thank Alex and his dad for driving down and meeting up to watch this game. Uh, it was great <laughs> to meet up with both of them. And uh, we missed you, Jackie, but we'll just have to get together next year for the Champions League final. <laughs> I like that confidence. I like it. Uh, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we couldn't have picked a better season to start this podcast and we couldn't have picked better listeners to have. So thank you very much. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Instagram, and on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And drop Alex a follow as well. Uh, it's at Pulisic FC on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and we will be back next week to do a full season review. Uh, but until then, stay safe and up the Chels. <laughs>